This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is April 6th, 2021. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. Uh, I'm Stephen Klappau, and I was with Hofstra Radio from 1989 until 1992. And what uh, shows did you uh, host or produce while you were at the radio station? Um, in total, I worked, I would say 99% of that time was working on Airwave. Uh, really early on, I had to do my time with just jazz and um, new, age, new Age Images, I think it was. Did you have any titles or positions at the radio station? You know, for a brief time, I was chief announcer. Another time, I was just considered a producer. I was an assistant music director at one point. I kind of floated around. And I can't, if I had any other titles, I can't remember them. Okay. And um, did you use your real name on air or did you have an on air personality name? No, I used, I used my own name. It never occurred to me to just use some other name. So I was just Stephen Clapow, you know, and it's a weird enough name that everybody could remember it or get it wrong. I'm, I'm sure that happened more than a few times. <laughs> um, yeah. So. Uh, I guess if you could give us an idea of when you first went, this is a sort of a two-part thing. So when your first time mm-hmm. at the station and what brought you down there, but I want to start with, you know, for those who weren't there at the same time you were, what did you walk into? What did it look like? What did it sound like? Do you remember particular people being there? Uh, and that can be the office or the studio, whatever it is that mm-hmm. you remember your first time going to Hofstra Radio. I think the first time I ever was down there was to go uh, into the office. I had switched majors uh, to communications and decided that, you know, radio was where I wanted to go. And I remember going down to the office and it was in the downstairs of, I, I, I'm trying to remember if it's if it was called Memorial Hall, mm-hmm. I think maybe. Yep. It was right below, right below Bits and Bites, which we had a horrible name for. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't repeat it here. And it was, it rhymed with bits. <laughs> and um, I remember going into the office and this was after I had seen Dempster Hall, which I, th- I think that was where the TV, all the, you know, the TV department was located. Yes. So it was really a, a stark contrast going into the basement. I mean, it's certainly WRHU is uh, today is not what it was back then. Um, it was definitely, it was an older building and it, it, it definitely had been uh, road hard and hung up wet. Hmm. Um, <laughs> it was, uh, you know, it, it was a well-worn space, but you know, in a way that felt comfortable too, because it was very, it's, it's lived in, you know, it was very, everything down there was very real. Uh, and it, 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 I found the people very welcoming too. So I think that helped, but um, I had a really, it, it was a very, uh, it was immediately comfortable. It was just, it was just uh, very different from the rest of the communications department. So when you switched majors and you went, you went down to the radio station, do you remember meeting anybody in particular that first time? Or was it like an open call or did you just go down there on your own? Uh, I think the first person I met was um, Sue Zizza. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, since she was going to be one of the professors, it was interesting. You know, I walked in and I remember, um, she was there and she introduced herself and it was, you know, it was nice to meet, you know, one of the professors before I was actually in their class. So I think she was, she was the first person I met, I think. Hmm. So you alluded to this a little bit that you were changing your major and focusing on radio. So is that what brought you to the station? Did you have an interest in radio prior 
to come in a Hofstra? Were there particular stations or people that you listened to that inspired that? Yeah, actually, um, before I came to RHU or even switched my major, I had kind of had it in my head that that's what I was going to do. And so I had an internship at another radio station at, uh, at WDRE. Mm. So I had already been interning there. And, but the thing is, I was just answering the phones. I wasn't really doing anything hands-on at that time. Uh, eventually I was, but at that point I was just um, answering the phones and not really doing anything hands-on. So I was kind of excited about getting to RHU and, and actually, you know, learning more about the engineering, just, you know, being part of the radio program. And um, I was immediately also interested in airwave, um, which I was, you know, I had, I had some concerns that, you know, they weren't going to immediately just put me on the show that I was the most interested in, but, you know, alternative music, which is what we called it then. And now it's just music. Hmm. Um, that was what I was really interested in. I grew up in South Florida um, and everything there was either top 40 or country. And so in my later years of high school, that's when I became interested in other music. And, um, you know, if you watched MTV late at night, you could actually see some Smiths and Susie and the Banshees. And that was the music that really started to, you know, make me obsessed about music. And so that's where, you know, I got the internship at DRE, but that's why I also wanted to get involved with, uh, with airwave. And, um, so, you know, for a teenager too, I mean, you become obsessed with music and, and, WRHU was sort of a way to live it, so to speak. So at the time, we probably would have been loath to discuss the commercial radio station playing alternative music, at least within the the hallways there. That you know, RHU was one thing and DRE was another thing. But I just, I just, I've heard other people mention this that they got their start at at DRE or LIR. And mm-hmm. I guess if you can remember, what was what was your experience with that? How did you know that you could apply for an internship there? Um, I just, you know, I knew how internships worked and I remember actually sending a letter to their main address. They had a, a pretty nice office in Westbury and, um, the, the woman who was the assistant music director, her name was Deb Brown and she was, she was really an awesome person and a great advocate for me. She, uh, she called my house and said, we actually are looking for interns and, you know, come in and have an interview. And it just, it, it, it just happened. Mm. I, I thought it was going to be this whole almost auditioning process. You know, I didn't really know too much about internships at the time, but it just, it happened. And uh, it was a great thing. I think working there and working at RHU simultaneously really gave me a, a great, well-rounded experience. Hmm. Um, so, so you get down there to the radio station and presumably there was some sort of training because you mentioned getting on the air or getting a show. Do you remember yeah. anything about an engineering class or announcing class or anybody who helped you oh, in yeah. training? <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, yeah. And there was that, that's interesting in itself. And and for both for announcing and engineering, um, I had Jeff Kraus as my professor for both and almost anybody who's been involved with RHU knows Jeff, especially if you were there from, yeah. you know, anytime up to leading up to like 1991 ish, I guess. Um, I, so I had Jeff as my professor for both, and he absolutely frightened me. <laughs> um, you know, here was this, you know, older gentleman, very, he was very stately, stern, you know, he, he meant business. Uh, and um, I had him for, for engineering and announcing, and the announcing class, I didn't really have a tough time with him, but the engineering, I don't know, it, it that was real hard for me. Um, 
it was definitely it was definitely an uphill climb for me at first. Um, I don't know if anybody else remembers this, but the first hands-on exercise that we had in engineering was uh, Jeff gave everybody reel-to-reel tape of him counting from one to mm-hmm. ten, but all of the numbers were out of sequence. And the exercise was to edit the tape so that the numbers were in sequence with natural pauses between them. And that, I mean, it was, it's pretty simple looking back at it, you know, now that I've known how to edit reel to reel tape, but I messed something up and I flipped the pieces of tape around. So some of the numbers were literally backwards. So it'd be like one, two, Mm. four, you know, so like the three was backward and the whole thing was a mess and I ran out of time and had to turn that in. And he, you know, basically handed my ass to me for, for even giving it to him like that. So, um, and then when it came down to the announcing class, I mean, he was, he was tough with me there too, but I found that, uh, you know, by the end of it and by the time I, by the time I finished with my degree, you know, a few years later, he was, he was my fiercest advocate. Yeah. Uh, I learned so much just, I, I think his giving me such a hard time and he even admitted it toward the end because we were friendly. He said, if I hadn't hassled you like that, you wouldn't have worked so hard. And he's, I'm sure he's right. So were those, I I'm, I'm getting mixed up in my own head. Were those for credit classes? Those were for credit. Yeah. Yeah. Those were for credit. Those weren't, I, you know, it was simultaneous that I was, you know, learning that for credit and then also, you know, pursuing, you know, getting a show at RHU. Okay. So I, I didn't have to, I didn't have to take a side, I didn't have to take a side training where somebody from RHU taught me how to do any of that. It was, it was part of my degree. Okay. Okay. So you were taking four credit classes and that led to you getting cleared to be on the air mm-hmm. to do right. first the jazz show and the new age show and then eventually airwave. Is that the way it went? Yeah, and I only did I only did just jazz and and new age images for a short time. It really didn't take long before um, before I got an airwave slot. So that was that was a nice surprise to me. Do you recall your first time on the air or behind the mic or or behind oh, the yeah. board? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, behind the board when with with new age images and and just jazz, I was just running the board and somebody else was announcing, and mm-hmm. so that was how I got used to running the board. And at that point, that board, I think that board is, it felt like that board was from the 40s. It was when we had the old round pots that you had to turn. We didn't have any sliders. Um, I remember the day we got the new board uh, in the studio where it was, it was the big white board with the sliders and it just, it felt completely, you know, by today's standards, it, it, you know, it seems like an antique, but for us, it was you know, it was state of the art. Um, yeah, the first board that we had was super old, a lot of knobs and switches. There was, there was a lot to, there was a lot to learn. Um, so the first, the first time that I, you know, was on the air live myself where I had to engineer and announce was an airwave show. Hmm. Um, and I was absolutely dying. I was just so nervous. It didn't matter that I had been engineering or that I had announced separately. It was, you know, well, now I'm going to have to do both and nobody else is there. And um, one of the DJs, Dean Lakshis, rest in peace, uh, he was there before me and he finished. And then, he, you know, he didn't even say he, he finished his shift and he was like, all right, you'll be fine. Bye. <laughs> and I don't ever want to hear the tape of my first show. I 
I know I would cringe. It, it, you know, I nothing terrible happened, but I, I am sure it was not uh, it, it was not elegant. Um, do you recall what the what the time slot was for that first airwave show? Because I know it shifted at some point from uh, to eleven p.m. to three a.m. Were you on a later? Yeah, or? it was it was eleven to I, I think because initially it was eleven to two, right? And at one and at that point you did the whole show, you did all three hours, and then later we split it up so it was 11 to 1 and then 1 to 3 right um but yeah i mean i would say you know probably for i would say about half the time that i was on airwave it was the it it was a three-hour shift but it was you know it sounds like a long time but it, it, it flew right um this has come up in in some of the recent interviews and and i have to come up with a better more delicate way of asking this but so i'll just come out and say as you were getting used to being on the air did you have uh did you have an accent did you have to work through uh any particular regionalisms uh because it's come up a few times recently and i'm just i'm Mm -hmm. curious since some of us grew up in the long island area and some of us came from other places um did you have to work to lose an accent or to sound a little more uh generic i tried i don't think the I mean, my, I feel like my accent's gotten stronger over the years, the longer I've lived here. But um, yeah, I, you know, Jeff would often talk in, in announcing class about trying to really, you know, remove the regionalism from announcing, mm. you know, and, 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 you know, especially, you know, if we were going to be on the air there. Um, it was something that I felt like I had to work at. I think I was partially successful. I think for me, the, the the weirder thing for me to get over was the sound of my voice because I feel like I was very, I was a very late bloomer. I feel like my puberty was still going on even in my late teens. And so my voice was not really developed. And to this day, I don't think my voice is very ordinary. Um, but then it, it was just a matter of, you know, trying to make my voice sound a little bit more professional without sounding artificial. Hmm. And I think that was, that was probably the struggle at first, because I think when you're first on the radio, you speak the way you think people expect you to speak. And what happens is over the course of time, you get more comfortable behind a microphone, you get more comfortable with who you're talking to, and it just starts to become more natural and conversational. And it no longer sounds forced. You're no longer putting on that voice. It's just you talking to however many number of people are listening at the time. Um, but it, you know, in terms of in terms of accent, you know, I think that's something that I still work at, sort of minimizing. Uh, there was, I, I think, there was more of a stigma about having a Long Island or or New York accent then than there is now. I think people see those things as character now, and they're not judged as much. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it was, I think it was a bigger deal back then to work to remove it. I, I, I think now, you know, the world has changed enough that everybody just sort of embraces those differences instead of, oh, we'll wipe it out if you want a career in broadcast journalism. I don't think you have to do that. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a really good point. There was definitely an emphasis, whether you were from upstate New York or western Pennsylvania or Florida or Long Island, it was, you need to lose that and sound more particular mm-hmm. do you do you feel like uh in terms of the development of your voice or or working out mm-hmm. that do you do you think it took a couple of weeks couple of months how do you how do you feel like you developed i feel like it it really developed over the course of years mm. um i i feel like you know it, it, my time at 
RHU definitely spanned a few years. And, you know, I was there even after I graduated and continued to do a show for a while. And um, I think that development just kept on, you know, kept on happening. Um, you know, it, it's, it, it's really, you know, it's kind of hard to describe. But like, you know, like I mentioned, I, I feel like I'm still, it's something I'm still working on today. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you've mentioned Jeff a, a few times and Sue. Who were some other people who, as you were first getting into the radio station, who were helpful, who maybe let you sit in mm-hmm. on a show or, or you listened to and thought, oh, okay, I like what they're doing. Who were some other, yeah. some other people? Um, Penelope Owens. Um, she was, uh, she was chief announcer for a while and I felt like she was really helpful in getting me acclimated to the station and Don D'Angelo. Um, I, you know, I'd say at the beginning when I was really just sort of getting my feet wet and getting comfortable there, they were really, um, they were very good. And Rich Redabali Mm -hmm. was, a you know, was a very, uh, was a very positive force for me. I remember him, um, showing me a few things in, uh, in one of the extra production rooms, actually, he helped me with something one time. And I just remember thinking, well, you know, he didn't have to do that. Um, but I would say, yeah, I would say, you know, hands down, Jeff was, was, you know, was probably the biggest influence there. And um, one of the things that just to, you know, revisit talking about Jeff again is he, I, he encouraged me to go into copywriting um, cause I had done a lot of that for the station as well. And I did a lot of that for DRE as well. And in fact, I, you know, I ended up becoming a, a journalist after that, um, for print. And I would say, you know, Jeff had a lot to do with encouraging me to do that. I remember he had said to me that he wanted to introduce me to some people he knew at ad agencies and things like that. And unfortunately he passed away before any of that could happen. But, um, that's why I say, you know, I feel like I owe a lot to, to Jeff. So what was the, the, the origin or the root of that copywriting? Do you remember anything that you worked on for Hofstra Radio that was, was it public service announcements or, or promos? What were you working on? Um, public service announcements. You know, they, there was one class that I took for credit where, you know, we had to write uh, where we had to write radio ad spots. Hmm. And it was actually a big part of the class. And I'd say that's where, you know, he really got an idea of what I was able to do. Um, and at my internship at DRE, I was, I, I had to work on promos for their shriek of the week that would happen once a week and write these different sketches about different songs and things. And that's where I really got, you know, I think that in tandem with the writing at RHU of PSAs and so on, um, definitely, you know, is, is, is what helped me become a, a strong copywriter and also just the creative side of things. I later became a creative director for a marketing agency. And I think that I have my time in radio to thank for that. Mm. That's, that's really interesting because I, I think in so many of the other interviews I've done so far, a lot of the focus has been in developing the on-air personality or working on production mm-hmm. skills. And to be fair, I think during my time, a lot of it was we need, we need to make something. And we kind of mm-hmm. did things on the fly or we figured it out as we went so that you were specifically focused on that and, and getting good feedback from Jeff. I, I, I'd love to know more about that. Do you remember any of the, the particular things you may have worked on? Or if you want to talk about the, the shriek of the week thing, that's, I remember that specifically. Yeah. So that's, that's a real callback for me. 
it was a lot of it, it required a lot of pop culture knowledge and references and it was almost like you know especially with the production staff at 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 DRE they were you know they were very clever people and it was almost like a radio version of 30 rock little zingers and small mm. subtle jokes that maybe only a handful of people would get but you put them in there anyway because for the handful of people who would get them, they'd really get them and appreciate it and love it. And it's, you know, we were writing to entertain people, but we also were, we were writing and producing to entertain ourselves, which I know sounds really indulgent, but we, we were, it was, it was nice putting stuff out that we loved and so did other people, you know, it, it it's, we weren't just putting things out there to be consumed. We were putting things out there that we, that we would be proud of, um, you know, and some of it, you know, some of it wouldn't fly today. Some of it was probably, you know, was, was, was kind of off color. I mean, we're in a different world now. Mm. Um, but we definitely, we definitely had fun with things. Um, and you know, just, we, we kind of pushed the limits of what we were able to produce. Um, some of it was bizarre, but it was, it was great fun. I wish I could find some of the tapes of the things that we produced, but they're, I think they've long vanished. One of the the questions I would normally ask at this point is about feeling comfortable at the station and feeling at home. And and I was I was, I was mm-hmm. thinking to to call back to doing those three hour airwave shows and thinking like, well, yeah. how how many records did you pull beforehand? When did you feel comfortable walking and saying, oh, I've got three hours of music, I can do this without worrying too much about it? But now now thinking so much more about this writing part, I guess if you want to take either one of those, when did you feel like I'm good at this? I can do this. Was there a moment where you said, yeah, I I'm, I'm going to pursue this. I've got this. Probably after I would say, you know, in terms of, you know, in terms of just being comfortable doing a show where I didn't feel like I had to show up 45 minutes before and start pulling records. And like you said, um, probably a a matter of months. Hmm. Um, I I got comfortable very quickly. Um, and it it was, you know, the more you, you know, the more you engineer and, um, and again, you know, RHU obviously, and, and, and the professors that I had at Hofstra were, you know, were definitely instrumental in teaching me what to do, but the internship that I had at DRE also took me into the production department enough that, you know, I learned a little bit more about, you know, some tricks in engineering and, I became like king of the slip queue mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, I became a very, I became a very strong tape editor. So, you know, I was able to put all of that into play and I, I just got very comfortable with everything. And sometimes I brought my own records, which I know was frowned upon, but I did, um, you know, I decided to, ha- to have some fun with being there, but it really only took a, a matter of months to get, to get comfortable there. Um, and then it got to a point where, you know, people who were just coming into the station would be, you know, they, they'd come in and sort of shadow me and sit in, which was a normal, you know, a normal process at the station, you know, where you just came in and observed in the studio. Uh, but yeah, I, I became comfortable there pretty, pretty quickly. Hmm. That's, that's, that's great. Um, so we have the benefit of hindsight to look back and say, this is what it meant to us. And obviously you talked mm-hmm. about what Jeff meant to your career and so forth, but I'm, I'm wondering, I'm hopeful that can you put yourself back in your shoes 
when you're first walking in there and obviously you said you changed your major. So you had an idea that radio was going to be something to you, but can you, yeah. can you get in that mindset again and say, this is what I thought it would be? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I really, I felt walking into the radio department at Hofstra, I knew I wanted a voice. I was a very, awkward teenager and even an awkward early 20 something honestly but um I always felt like I had a lot to say and I wanted to engage people and I wanted to amuse people and at that time I don't think I had the confidence to do that and be visible and to me that's where radio was kind of perfect because you could engage and amuse and connect with people and say what you wanted to say um but you weren't they weren't looking at you um and so you know WRHU for me was perfect it was it it was it was a great way to 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 put myself out there without physically putting myself in front of people and i'll say this i feel like that set the table for me to become a more confident person later now you know in 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 the jobs that i've had i've had to get up in front of large groups of people and sell ideas and do public speaking engagements and things like that. And I, I don't know if I would be as comfortable doing it if I hadn't had that early experience at the station. It definitely played a part in that. Steven, thank you so much for sharing your stories. This has been, this has been really a lot of fun and uh i i really appreciate your stories and uh i have a lot more questions for another time i hope we can do this again sometime oh, sure. yeah i'd love to i'd love to and and thanks for asking me to do it even now i appreciate it i, I it, it's it's been great talking about it uh, you know it's been such a long time but i still remember a lot of it pretty vividly